0: Welcome back to Civil Action with Brian Kabatek and
1: Sean Kornikian. Hello, Sean. How are you today? Not bad. Still in lockdown. How are you, Brian? It's, it's nice that I don't have to see you. So that's one of the benefits. Deeply insulting, but I completely understand it. So have you bathed in the last few days, Sean? Yeah. And have you
0: eaten plenty of cereal in the last few days? Cereal with beer. It's a great combination. So civil action, we try to normally in our program uh, educate lawyers and give them about 20 minutes of law school each week, uh, updating you on recent cases that have come down from the California Supreme Court, Ninth Circuit, California Court of Appeal, um, and other interesting cases. We'd mentioned the United States Supreme Court, but that might confuse Sean. So today we're taking a little diversion from that. Before we take that diversion, tell, Sean, tell
1: people where they can find us. You can address all your complaints to Brian at kbklawyers.com, and you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts.
0: So today we're going a little different because we have two very special guests with us. We have Eddie Ward and Dana Fox, who are superb, outstanding trial lawyers. Uh, They usually go up against plaintiff lawyers in cases, but I consider them sort of the cream of the cream. And we're lucky to have both of you gentlemen with us today. Say hello, gentlemen.
2: Hey, Brian. Thank you very much.
0: Eddie, how are you? Good. Dana, how are you? Well, thank you. So before we get started with some, you know, um, really blistering questions today, Eddie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your background and experience and, and what you're doing these days besides staying at home.
2: Sure thing. Uh, you know, nothing too wild. I'm originally from Portland, Oregon. Made my way down here to SC. Um, went to law school. Fight on. There you go. Went to law school up at Santa Clara in the South Bay area. Um and have been down here practicing law in my fourteenth year um working over at Lewis Brisboy with Dana, uh handling all types of interesting cases. Uh, I do a little bit of everything it feels like. Um but the majority of my practice is catastrophic injury. Um, I products work, I do some employment as well. So just kind of just litigation in general.
0: Eddie, how did you end up doing trial work? And you're an outstanding trial lawyer, but but basically, how did you end up
2: doing it? Good question. Uh, Really just fell into it. Um, I was one of those guys, I didn't know any lawyers growing up. uh, And literally, my first kind of entree to the law was working as a law clerk at a firm called Gilbert Kelly back in 2005. Um, Finished law school and started working there. And tried my first case, I believe it was, I had just been a lawyer for about a year. Uh, and then, you know, I've been kind of ripping and running ever since.
0: All right, let's turn to Dana Fox. Dana's a, a legend and a spectacular trial lawyer. Dana, um, let's start with talking about your background and tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Uh, thanks, Brian. Um, and what Eddie left out is the, he is also the most dapper-dressed lawyer in <laughs> California, and maybe I would nominate him nationally. That's true. Um,
1: I, I, w- I would second that
3: nomination. Mm-hmm. It's true, but it's a low threshold, let's be honest. Fair it's enough. It's just a shame. So grew up back east, born and raised in Connecticut. Um, I'm a tri-state area kid. All my sports loyalties were once in New York, and they've now migrated with me. I'm a Dodger and Laker fan. Uh, but still bleed New York giant blue uh, came to California with my family in the late seventies and went to McGeorge graduated and came down to LA worked with one fabulous firm Lindbergh and Watkins for 24 years and then had the good fortune to come over and join Lewis Brisboy in 2009 and been uh, trying cases with uh, Lewis ever since.
0: All right. So you guys have seen um sort of the opposite of what we see because in our practice shant and i we deal with um defense lawyers all the time on cases and we usually don't see the uh potentially see me underbelly of the plaintiff bar um and you guys and of course we you know we always have complaints about defense lawyers on cases not you gentlemen of course but others and uh well, I thought today we could talk a little bit about civility in the practice and specifically focusing on stories that you guys have about um, plaintiff lawyers and things that have happened that you've seen that have disturbed you or things that could be done a little bit
1: better. Sean, you want to add anything to that? Without without naming names unless the name is Brian Kabtek. So have at it, gentlemen. Tell me
0: what you think are some of the things that the plaintiff's bar could do better, and some of the things that you've seen that have sort of troubled you or bothered you over years.
2: Dan, I'll I'll jump in really quickly on this one and let you close it up. Um, I would say just at the outset that probably 99% of the plaintiff lawyers I deal with are fantastic. I'm lucky in my practice in as much as a lot of the men and women that I see on the other side of cases, I see regularly. So we have developed um, good working relationships uh, as much as, you know, look, you've got to represent your client and I have to represent mine, but we're going to do what we have to do. To make sure we remain as civil as possible and move our cases along. The one thing I would say that I see on kind of the occasion or with the occasional plaintiff lawyer is really just not being a man or a woman of their word. Uh, you know, I was taught as a very, very young lawyer, um, you know, your word is really all you have in this business. It's something that we preach to folks at our firm as well. So if you're going to Say you're going to do something, do it. Be consistent with it. Don't back off of it, and don't waffle. But otherwise, than that, you know, understanding that we're all ultimately in this together. Cases are going to come and go, but we'll be litigating against each other for years and trying to maintain a uh, level of civility and professionalism at all times.
3: Uh, I'll I'll follow up on something Eddie said. Brian is we're fortunate for the most part. We get to work with some of the best of the best plaintiff lawyers, such as your firm and other high-quality firms in town. It's the high-caliber lawyers. And so most of the times, we don't get caught up in the petty personal things, the things that can distract from everyone doing the best job for their client that they, they possibly can. I, my, my suggestion is this, and this goes for both sides of the courtroom: is don't be afraid to build relationships with your opposing counsel. Um, we we all need, we're all trying to do the best we can for our clients. We all have that goal in mind. Don't be afraid to give up something that doesn't matter. Don't fight over everything. Invite your opposing counsel out for beer. I don't mind telling everyone listening to this that on at least two occasions I picked up the phone or Brian picked up the phone and we called each other on a case we had and said, you know what, let's meet for lunch. And we've grabbed lunch together and it, it didn't, it, it only built the relationship, it built a friendship. Plus we horse traded o- over a sandwich, um, have some FaceTime. I think Dan Buckley said if, if he could write a rule, the first rule he'd write in LA superiors, You're all required to meet and confer by meeting for coffee. You always have to meet your opposing counsel for coffee just to get to know them. Hard to yell at someone once you've gotten to know somebody a little bit. So build the relationships. And for plaintiff lawyers, build a relationship with the insurance adjuster or the carrier or the claims person. Don't be afraid to get to know them and, and horse trade with them because you may have other cases with them in the future.
1: What, what's, what's funny is that's, you guys are actually true to your word because I remember when I was a little bit younger, the first time I ever sat down and, and hung out with defense counsel was with, with Eddie. He actually invited me out for a beer when we were meeting on a case. So did he make you you pay? (laughs) I, I can't remember. And it doesn't, and it kind of doesn't matter. Uh, but probably not. I probably weaseled my way out of it or it was probably, you know, we, we cut some kind of a deal. I'm sure. Um, but. What about the flip side of that? Aside from what not to do or what to stay away from, uh, what what suggestions do you guys have to plaintiff attorneys trying to move their cases along? Things that'll help, you know, get carriers to play ball. Uh, presumably, people aren't listening to this because of me and Brian. Uh, you know, people want to hear a little bit of insight from the dis- defense
2: part. I, I would say, just really more than anything else. Look, I, I understand. Um, like we are in our office, the plaintiff floors and other side of cases are very busy. Um, but you know, one thing I would always suggest before you pick up the phone, before you send that email, whatever you're doing, making sure you really know your case. I, 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 I couldn't tell you how many times I talked to plaintiff's lawyers and they're, you know, making representations about a case that just are factually inaccurate. Uh, you know, not, not just a, hey, maybe a bit of an overreach, but just dead wrong. So, you know, making sure you have a good working, under, working understanding of the facts of your case, the applicable law, and being able and ready to have a meaningful conversation will always, you know, one, impress the other side, and two, allow you to move your case forward.
0: I want to build on something that Dana has talked about, and, and you too, Eddie, which is personal contact with people. And, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, Dana and I have been around long enough to know what the world was like before something called the internet and email came along. And my working theory is that um, the practice was a lot more civil before the proliferation of texting and email because people had to develop relationships with each other. What do you think of that, Dana?
3: I completely agree, Brian. I don't want to sound like a dinosaur, but yes, we used to have to use something called a dictaphone, and we dictated it, and then we'd give the tape to my to the secretary, and a day later, she'd bring the letter in. And by then, you calmed calm down, you cooled cool down, or didn't, you realized it really wasn't that important. And you'd either throw away the letter, or you'd tone it down. I also think Mentors are so important. We have to mentor these lawyers. That before you write that email that sounds like you're ready to rip someone's head off, you take a step back. And even if you've received an antagonizing email, maybe take the high road and realize there's a delete button on your keyboard and just delete it. When it becomes personal, we all lose our perspective. I've done it. I'm I'm guilty, um, and I try not to do it. But don't take the bait. Uh, take, take the high road and, and yes, pick up the phone and talk to each other and don't be afraid to meet with somebody. Remember in a case I had with Brian, he needs something from me and I need something from him. And, and the good lawyers say, Hey, don't send me a a 80 request production. What do you need, Brian? And Brian says, I need this report and your manual and this. And I say, okay, let me get it for you and exchange it that way. Or agree to disagree. Agree to disagree, and 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 be gentlemen and ladies
1: about it, and it'll work so much better. So, Dana, you bring up a good point about uh, mentoring and stuff. What did what did you guys, both of you, um, do to develop your skills as trial lawyers or just lawyers in general? How did you guys sort of get to where you are and get the experience that you now have and the skills you now have?
3: So I had the good fortune of having an amazing mentor, um Norm Watkins, who still practices in Orange County was my mentor for a very long time and I learned how to be a lawyer and how to try cases the right way by Norm. Um and and it was by watching and seeing him do it and and walk the walk and talk the talk. And I think we have to sit down with our lawyers, we have to tell them the right way to do things we have to talk. I have a rule on my team. No one is allowed to file a demur until they clear it with me. I think we probably file five demurs a year. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's 10. I don't know in all of our cases. I also have a rule that you are not allowed to ask for sanctions against an opposing counsel unless you clear it with me first. And I think I've asked for sanctions twice in the last five years, me personally. I think it's overused. It's overdone. And I think the courts get sick of it and we shouldn't be doing it to each other. So you just have to teach these values. And these new lawyers have taken an oath. They took, it's in part of their oath on the civility. So you got to remind them they've taken that oath.
2: And for me, just as far as kind of my development, you know, I've worked with some great lawyers over the years, but one thing I looking back on is when I first started, It was still when, um, courts were doing a lot of case management conferences. So when I first started as a lawyer, I was going to court in the morning, at least four days a week. And during those times, I just tried to listen. So I would hear people argue, you know, if I got out of my appearance early, maybe i would stick my head down the hall and watch some lawyers in trial. I remember seeing, Tom Girardi try a case, uh, probably about 13 or 14 years ago, just for like 20 minutes and, and taking stuff away from him. I just try to be a sponge and, you know, obviously, um, my style is my style. And, you know, I think every lawyer says the same thing when you're trying to, you know, try a case like somebody else, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, but at the same time, I just try to learn from everybody that I'm around.
0: So let me change the subject, guys, and let's. We're we're, obviously we're recording this right in the middle of COVID nineteen coronavirus lockdown shutdown, and we are doing it remotely for all of our listeners, for all eight of you. Uh, We want you to know that we're respecting the the stay apart thing. But um, what are we going to do here? Because I am deeply concerned about this will end. Right, we all have to agree that this will end, and it will be over, and there will be some probably slow return to normalcy. But what are we going to do about our trial system after this is done? Uh, cases are are not getting out now. Motions aren't being heard. Uh, things are on a complete standstill. Uh, and, and, and Eddie, we'll flip back to you first and then go to Dana. I want to hear your thoughts about how we restart
2: the system and what are we going to do? You know, I think first and foremost, the challenge for all of us, particularly those who are trying cases, is that we're going to have to establish and develop some level of patience. And I know, just speaking for myself, I probably am not as patient of a man as I should be. Um, but, you know, setting that aside, I, I think it's just going to be about as fluid of a situation as we can get. I, I really... I don't know, because we look at it, we're kicking things down the road. Um, but when everything's just going to start back up, there's all those things that were already down the road. So it, it's just going to be a, just kind of a mashup of cases kind of all running into each other. So I think it's just going to be a matter of being patient, um, taking cases one step at a time. And I'll and I'll kind of ca- toss this to Dana as well. Uh, I'm interested to see how that affects plaintiffs moving forward as well, when you've got a real case with a real injury and you need some real recovery sooner than later, um, getting these cases kicked down the road is going to be detrimental to them, but go ahead, Dana, please.
3: Brian, I don't know is the short answer. And I, and I think if anyone tells you they do know they're, they're fooling themselves, We are in uncharted waters. Nobody knows this. So I think we're gonna once the once the gates reopen, we've got to clear a backlog of criminal cases. I don't know how that's gonna play out. I don't know if civil judges are gonna be used on criminal cases. I don't know how that plays out. Then once we clear that, we've got to convince the public that it's safe to come back into a jury assembly room. And that's gonna be we're gonna get some resistance there. Once we get past that. I think the real problem we're going to see on cases that are longer than 10 days, when we used to see 50% of the hands go up for hardship and a judge might excuse a third of the panel, my prediction is for a while, we're going to see 80% of the hands go up and probably almost 80% excuse because we're going to hear I'm unemployed or my significant other is unemployed or I've been out of work for four months and I need this paycheck that I'm getting now and it's all going to be legit and real. And we're going to have trouble getting fourteen jurors. How many people that are teachers or in the healthcare profession can come back and serve as jurors now? So I think we're going to look for or, a real or terri- trouble, or they're terrified to be in the same room,
0: right? I mean, that's, that's right. That's right. I was, I, trying, gonna- I was trying a case and got mistried on March thirteenth because of this. And uh, as the week went on, you saw the jurors getting more and more terrified about being there.
3: So, what are the answers? So, because this is this this is going to be beyond our control to a large extent. I I've already reached out um, to the presiding judge and the assistant presiding judge, assistant presiding judge in LA, and said to the extent. We can help in any way our firm. If that is voluntary settlement conferences, we will volunteer lawyers and get you manpower, women power to your courthouses. Cause I've heard there may be some discussions about returning to an MSc program or settlement conferences. I think we're going to have to be a little more flexible about doing those types of programs, even though they've not been necessarily effective in the past. I think we're also going to have to look at bench trials. I think as a necessity. And I know. In certain cases, the plaintiff bar is, is reluctant to do that, but I think if we're going to want to move cases, we're going to have to consider bench trials as opposed to waiting for jurors to show up and try those cases, because if we do, Brian, we may be, we may be looking at cases that are set for trial in June, trying them next April. That's my fear. And, and By the way, it's bad for all of us. It's bad for both sides. It's bad for clients. Um, A lot of our clients are insurance companies. They don't want to hold reserves forever. They want to move these cases, too. So it, it is in everyone's best interest to figure out a solution once this chaos ends.
1: So, so with, with that in mind, Dana, having the insight you have on that side of the courtroom, what do you think – plaintiff's lawyers will be, you know, what what should they be doing right now while they're, you know, kind of not sitting around, but while the system is stalled, what should they be doing to prepare to be able to get these moving or settled? Because as you said, you know, a lot of their clients are real people that need real money. What's going to increase the likelihood of after after things start picking up, what's going to increase the likelihood of insurance carriers being willing to settle or being willing to, you know, move these cases along?
3: Sean, I, I got a a couple of plaintiff's lawyers who said, Well, I'm sure the the defense bar, the defense industry, the insurance carriers are just gonna cross their arms and wait us out. I got I got an email from a high level person at an excess carrier saying just the opposite, asking us to tell the plaintiff lawyers and anyone we could pass us along to that they're open for business. They're willing to talk. They're willing to settle cases now. Whenever anyone wants to have a dialogue, they're ready. And and no one is expecting you guys, because you're good lawyers with good cases, to walk in and, and, and sabotage your clients and cut your reasonable value by 20% or any percent because of this situation. I would say start a dialogue. With your opposing counsel, pick up the phone and say, hey, this is a bizarre time. If you guys are willing to talk, we're willing to talk. Don't think we're going to sell it short, but we're willing to have a dialogue with you to see if we can move this case. I've already settled one case in that regard that we were kind of at a standoff, and both sides kind of softened up, and we just got it done other day. And it was a 25-day-long cause case in Orange County. We solved it. So pick up the phone and start a dialogue.
0: I'll tell you one thing I think this is demonstrating is it's separating the wheat from the chaff because I'm on a small committee with both plaintiff and defense lawyers, people you'd know right away um, that are working with the superior court on this issue. And we've come to the conclusion that the good, decent lawyers are doing exactly what you're talking about and the bad apples are taking advantage of it. It's really unfortunate. Let me ask you guys a quick question. Um, And I just want to know, your like most interesting favorite case you've ever handled, and tell us a little bit about it. And we can start with you, Eddie. Ooh, my
2: interesting most favorite case. That's a good question. Or story, some great story from a great case. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Um, one of the more interesting trial experiences that I have had. Was in a long case that I actually tried with Dana here in the fall of 2018. Um, you know, long story short, we got a case from a client that was an absolute mess and was going to be a challenge from day one through its conclusion. Um, and it was a case that we ended up trying. And I know we're not supposed to use names, but with Brian Panish. Uh, and it was a fantastic experience for me just from the standpoint of, you know, really being able to try a case with very high level lawyers on all sides and kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier, really trying to be a sponge and really learning and taking away from things that everyone else was doing, um, that I think will serve as a benefit for the rest of my career. Um, as long as I'm doing this. So that's, that's probably one off the top of my head that will always stick with me.
0: That may be true, Eddie, but I will point out that you you, you know—you mentioned Mr. Panish, and, and there's clearly civility problems there because we were in trial. Sean and I were in trial on another floor that, that same time. Yes, you and were. He kept, <laughs> he kept stealing our lunchroom that we were setting up during lunch. He would send a paralegal there like at 10 in the morning to stake it out before we even had a chance, and we finally had to get an order from our judge barring brian Panish from our room
3: so so much for
0: that story how about you dana
3: i just on that last one i want to give a shout out also to dan dunbar who's a wonderful uh, attorney over at brian's office and once that trial started brian and dan and eddie and i never had a crossword we worked collaboratively and uh, i had known brian for years i didn't know dan and 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 just became friends with dan and think he's a man she's just such a nice guy and a good lawyer so i just want to give a shout out except for stealing our lunchroom other than that (laughs) yeah uh, okay so i'll I'll get to the question there's always there's there's two you never forget your first trial and i've never forgotten my first trial i can tell you the judge the courtroom the case the case name and that was just so and it was by myself And and you never get to forget that one because it's the one you did and Um, it did have a good outcome that helps, but still the first one you fly solo is amazing. And, and the first time you do it by yourself for lawyers, listening to this podcast, it's scary and it's challenging and you'll, you'll worry and you'll, you'll have a blast. Um, I guess if I had to pick one out of, of, I've been blessed to try so many interesting cases against interesting lawyers before wonderful judges, I guess I'd pick the Dodger case, Brian, uh, where I got to represent the LA Dodgers and Frank McCourt In the um, Brian Stowe case, and uh, it was interesting, and it was challenging, and there was media coverage that added pressure, and I felt a ton of pressure on my shoulders going into that case for a myriad of reasons. And one of them was interesting, was just the just the reputational situation for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I went against um, some excellent lawyers, and I give a shout out to David Lira and Chris O'May who never let it get – there was no dissension, there was no uh, fights, no arguments, and we litigated that case heavily for four and a half years, depositions across the country, uh, and and it was just a a wonderful experience working with them. So I'll I'll always remember that case.
0: So at this point, Gentlemen, we're going to do what we call speed dating, which is we're going to ask you uh, a handful of really ridiculous questions, and um, we need just quick little answers. They're not intended to be, you know, diatribes. But our eight listeners find this incredibly fun and incredibly insightful. So, Sean, I'll let you go first. Is this like uh, a
3: legal Rorschach test, Brian? You didn't nope. warn us this was going to happen there, the, the, and be prepared. This- the word Rorschach is far
0: too educational and far too big for uh, what we're about to do to you guys. And no, okay. you're not prepared for
1: this. No, okay. it, it's, it's not that weird. Uh, don't Just worry. have fun. Simple questions. Um, what would you guys be doing if you weren't lawyers?
2: Go ahead, Eddie. I would be a personal trainer.
3: Who didn't see that answer coming? <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Um, airline pilot. Wow. Okay. Uh
0: mm-hmm. if you were a cartoon character, what cartoon character would you be? Start with Dana.
3: Wow. Um I I would be the Road cuz the Road Runner was fast and quick and that the anvil never
2: landed on his head. Okay, Eddie, Wolverine from X-Men. Wow um favorite movie eddie whoo um god there's there's so many um one i actually just watched last night i'll give it to you i don't know if it's a favorite but parasite was fantastic
3: well that's not fair eddie that's like current movie and by the way if i had to pick current i'd go with jojo rabbit if i'm picking a current movie if you haven't yeah, seen it it's amazing
0: yeah great movie really great yeah Plus, a German version of Heroes by David Bowie ends the movie. Dana, favorite movie?
3: Oh, boy. Tough call. No wrong answers. Casablanca would probably be in my short list, and that's what I'm thinking of right now.
0: Okay, so uh, if you were to pick one meal that you could have, your choice, what would it consist of?
3: Dana first. Any good Homemade Italian food.
2: Eddie? My mother makes a chili that is fantastic, and I will take it above any meal, anytime.
3: Oh, look at you playing the mom card. Oh,
1: boy. Um, Superpower. What superpower would you guys want?
2: Whew. You know what? I'd like to be able to fly.
3: I, that, that's my answer too that's exactly it as, okay. as evidence i'd like to be an airline pilot
1: not invisibility okay uh no, that's just s- yours brian that's that's kind of creepy the invisibility <laughs> one. But okay not supposed to talk about that sean so
0: uh if you could perform on stage with any band or singer living or dead who would it be
3: oh, mine's easy mine's easy it, my runner up is you two, but I would, by far and away, my number one would be Metallica.
0: Okay. I'm just going to get a visual of Dana
2: performing with Metallica, but that's okay. Eddie, your turn. Mine would have to be early 20s, uh, mid 20s, early 30s Michael Jackson. He was alive in the 1920s? Uh, when he was that age. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: What did you guys want to be when you were growing up?
3: So I I was as early as 10th grade, I got turned on to the law by an amazing civics teacher who I happened to find a few years ago. I tracked him down and found him and and thanked him. Um, And I got turned on to wanting to be a lawyer when I was in 10th grade. And unlike Eddie, I did have some family friends that were lawyers, so I had some influence. So starting in 10th grade, um, a lawyer before that, far and away, no doubt, a, a major league baseball player. And, and I clearly gravitated where I have a little bit of talent. I had none in the baseball area.
2: <laughs> That's okay. Most of those guys couldn't try a case. Eddie? There you go. Actually, it's funny, Dana mentioned that. When I was a kid growing up, I wanted to be a baseball player.
0: Good. Uh, all right. My last question, then Sean will get one last question. Where would you like to travel to, assuming that the lockdown is ever ended? Where would you like to travel to that you've never been in the whole world? And be specific.
2: Dana. Eddie, you're up first. Uh, you know what? Um, I have been speaking to my father about going on a safari in Africa. Not sure where, but that's something that I'd like to do here when we can get back moving. I'll tell you about it when we get offline sometime. Yeah, it's a great experience. It,
3: it is a great experience, Eddie. You've got to do it and put it on your bucket list. I, I grew up heavily influenced um, by what I read and watched um, on the Vietnam War. and I've read a lot about it. Um, from the best and the brightest to other books about it. I would love to go study. I'd like to go to Vietnam. I'd like to learn more about the people and the history. So I would do a trip to Southeast Asia, including Vietnam.
0: And don't miss the temples in Siem Reap in Cambodia. Sean, why don't you take us home?
1: Sure. Um, when this lockdown is over, what's the first restaurant that you're going to have a meal at? And if
3: you say try mana, Eddie, I'll smack you. (laughs) Uh, That's,
2: you know, that's a good question for me. I'm not sure what will be open when uh, this thing is all set Well, assuming,
1: yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of places might not even be open afterwards, might not survive. But assuming your
2: favorite place survives, what what would it be? You know what I would love to go do, Sean, and, and you know this place as well, Village Pizza over here on Larchmont. Love to sit down, have some pizza and a beer, and just take it really easy. Dana, Dana,
3: you know, I I don't know if there's any particular one because I'm I'm not invested in a particular restaurant. But my my, my daughters uh, love. I have two daughters, are amazing, and my wife and I will go out once a month with our daughters to a nice place for dinner. Republique is wonderful, um, so I put that in the list, and anywhere in the Grand Central Market because it's so eclectic and so much fun.
0: Hey, you guys have been terrific today. Thank you so much for being with us, Dana Fox and Eddie Ward. This is Brian Kabatek along with Sean Karnikian on Civil Action. Been lucky to have these two gentlemen with us today. Sean, take it. Close it out (laughs)
3: for
1: us. Yeah, you can find us online at KBKLawyers.com. And you can send us all your complaints about Brian over there. And, uh, you know, thank you for tuning in. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you, Dana.
2: Of course. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Sean. It was a pleasure.